All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today is a Twitter Tuesday where I will be answering your listener questions, including whether or not the Falcons are paying Matt Ryan too much money in order for them to be able to win a Super Bowl. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FalFans.com. R.I.P. Still going strong on Twitter at FalFans. And, of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast or daily Atlanta Falcons podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode is a Twitter Tuesday where we have three Twitter questions on today's episode, and one of which is asking us to revisit my thoughts on the 2017 draft class and why it was so bad. And whether or not it's a good idea for the Falcons to use a top 50 pick in this year's draft on a running back, as well as which of the Falcons' former defensive coaches now turned defensive coordinators around the NFL is going to be the most successful in their new environment. And we'll get into an emailed question on today's episode that will be the bulk of today's episode talking about whether quarterbacks that reach a certain threshold and how much money they make in terms of their contract are able to win a Super Bowl and where Matt Ryan fits into that conversation. But our first topic of today is kind of revisiting yesterday's topic in which we talked quite extensively about Kyle Pitts in lieu of, you know, the buzz that has been recently building for Kyle Pitts, and especially on Monday after he reportedly ran a four four six forty time ahead of his impending pro day. And I didn't I wanted to clarify a little bit. I don't want people to listen to yesterday's episode and listen to that last 20 minutes where I'm basically explaining why Kyle Pitts makes the most sense for the Falcons if they stay at pick four. And interpreting that to me, basically saying that Kyle Pitts should be the pick or Kyle Pitts will be the pick. I don't know who the Falcons are going to pick, and I don't necessarily know if Kyle Pitts should be the pick. And for those of you that did not listen to yesterday's episode, the too long didn't listen version of that argument that I presented is that given the amount of money and resources that the Falcons have already invested in the quarterback position at Matt, with Matt Ryan, the left tackle position with Jake Matthews and wide receiver with Julio Jones, you know, the fact that the Falcons are not going to be able to get out of those investments in the short term means that it does make a ton of sense for the Falcons to invest this year's resources in the form of that number four overall draft selection in a position like tight end where the Falcons have relatively minimal resources currently invested in, in player like Hayden Hurst, who's an impending free agent after the season potentially, and is currently making less money than the incomparable Lee Smith on this roster. Yes, we will get a Lee Smith reference on every episode of this podcast, but you know, and I, I know a lot of people will look at that and say, well, that's the sunk cost sort of fallacy or whatever the case may be, Aaron, and that shouldn't stop the Falcons from reinvesting in those positions. And I understand that perspective, but I would also argue that it's not quite a sunk cost in the sense that you're still getting value from players like Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and Jake Matthews because they're still really good at football. So it's not necessarily a sunk cost sort of scenario, as at least as that sort of is presented in its classic form. But despite all that, 
you know, I do think it's, it's certainly possible that the Falcons pass on drafting Kyle Pitts at the top of this draft. It simply might boil down to they look at a quarterback, a tackle, or a wide receiver as simply better players than Kyle Pitts is and stick to their best player available strategy and take who they think is the better player. And, you know, my argument around Kyle Pitts has never necessarily been for uh, for him as the guy that I hope or want the Falcons to take, but it's always been sort of centered around that the idea of the Falcons taking Kyle Pitts at that number four or overall selection has always made a lot more sense than I think a lot of people have thought that have just simply dismissed it in the past simply because I think either a, they haven't spent really any amount of energy actually sitting down and thinking about it and just sort of dismissing it out of hand for various reasons, or simply because they have a, in my opinion, flawed perception of positional value at the top of the draft and think that, you know, certain picks can only be used on certain positions. Right. But like for me, and I know this is going to come off as a hot take to a lot of people, but like, frankly, I don't really care who the Falcons take with their first pick. You know, as I told my, my good friend, Charles McDonald a month ago, regardless of whether the Falcons go quarterback, tackle, wide receiver, tight end, whatever, they're going to get a blue chip player at, at the top of the draft, regardless of what position they draft. And three years from now, we'll know whether or not that was a, a good pick or not. And for me, it's just like six weeks ago, I just sort of thought the idea of outright dismissing taking pits at four was foolish. It made a ton of sense then. It still makes sense now. And, and I do enjoy the fact that because of sort of this buzz that's been building around Kyle Pitts these last couple of days, you know, and, and particularly sort of got elevated quite a bit when he ran a four, four, six forty in sort of an unofficial pro day or an unofficial workout prior to his pro day, which I think is a week away uh, on March 31st. And you know him, if he ran a 40 that fast, four, four, six at 246 pounds, we don't know quite what exactly his weight is, but if he is only 246 pounds, that speed is the equivalent of Julio Jones running a four, three, four at 220 pounds. And for me, at least, you know, in my pettiness, infinite pettiness, you know, six weeks ago, I said a thing and it was easy for a lot of people to simply dismiss it as, oh, you know, this Aaron, he's got the hottest of all takes and whatnot. But I do enjoy the fact that a lot more people in the national media are talking about the idea of the Falcons taking pits at four. And I think it becomes a lot harder for those same fans to dismiss it as easily as they would have six weeks ago after I said it. And Absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. No, my ego is not going to decrease or shrink because I've said this several times before in the podcast. And you guys just think I'm being arrogant, which I probably am to a certain extent, but it's true. Like I will say a thing and people will disagree with me. And then I just wait a certain amount of time. And in this case, six weeks with the Kyle Pitts take. And all of a sudden everybody else starts saying the same thing and act like, you know, they didn't hear it from anybody else. And like, oh, I just came up with this organically. You know, I just I just started, you know, and it's just I just sit here and I go, yeah, man, this happens all the time. This is why my ego and, and my arrogance is so large, as some people say, and accuse me of because it's like, yeah, this happens all the time. But look, we, we will, you know, we'll check my ego for the rest of today's episode or at least as much as we possibly can on any episode of Lockdown Falcons podcast. And we'll get into the conversation about whether or not Matt Ryan is getting paid too much money in order for the Falcons to have a chance of winning a Super Bowl. And that will be the topic of conversation coming up on today's Lockdown Falcons. But before we get there, I want to plug the NBA side of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where you can find a daily podcast devoted to one of all 30 NBA teams, regardless of who's your favorite. If it's the Atlanta Hawks, you should all means check out the Lockdown Hawks podcast hosted by Brad Rowland. Find that or whatever your favorite daily NBA podcast is on the radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
So BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The NFL might be over, but the NBA, NHL, NASCAR, and FCS college football are all in full swing. And, of course, BetOnline is the best place for March Madness, whether your bracket has already been busted or you're just looking away for making even more money with your NCAA tournament picks. And not just that, BetOnline also covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Get real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine because BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up. Just head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today at betonline.ag and use the promo code Locked On, and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, sign up today at betonline.ag, use the promo code Locked On, and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So I got you covered on everything you need to know about the Falcons, but what about the rest of sports? Host Peter Bukowski has you covered now on the Locked On Today podcast. It's all the sports news that you need every morning, another 20 minutes. Subscribe to the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, we got an email from Devin R. And Devin says, since 2011, the QB restructure year, no quarterback has made more than 15% of the team's salary cap and won the Super Bowl. Joe Flacco made 5%. Russell Wilson, 0.4%. Tom Brady, 14.3% in 2014. Peyton Manning, 10.4%. Brady, 9.6% in 2016. Carson Wentz slash Nick Foles, 3.3%. Tom Brady in 2018, 8.4%. Patrick Mahomes, 1%. And then Tom Brady this past year with 12.6%. And Devin adds, take out Brady slash Manning and you get under 5%. With Matt Ryan's new restructure putting him at or over 15% for the next couple of years, presumably. How do you feel about his contract and him as a player with this metric in mind? So, uh, Devin, doing my own research, you know, Matt Ryan is making $30 million a year. That would put him at 15.1% of the 2020 cap this past season, 16.4% of the 2021 cap this year. And if the 2022 cap is raised to $210 million, um, that would be about 14.3%. So, uh, Devin, I came up with slightly different numbers than what you're looking at, looking at the historical contract data from overthecap.com. And I looked at both players' cap hit as well as their APY, their average per year. Um, but for the most part, with a few exceptions, most of the percentage points were within, you know, a couple of percentage points with the numbers that you put out there. So your general take is, is generally true. It seems about um, 14, 15%. You know, basically looking at, Cap hit or APY, uh, the highest percentage since 2012, although I looked at 2011 as well, so the entire decade, uh, was 13.2% of a Super Bowl winning quarterback, which was Tom Brady in 2016. You had him at 9.6% of the cap that year. Um, and the fact that the Patriots won that year with Brady at 13.2% was actually slightly lower than the team that lost the Super Bowl that year. Of course, the Falcons with Matt Ryan's APY being a percentage of 13.4%. But, you know, I also didn't just look at the teams that won the Super Bowl. I looked at the teams that lost Super Bowls. I lost. I looked at the teams that also lost the conference championship games as well. And there have been multiple teams that have made the Super Bowl or the conference championship game that had quarterbacks that made more than 13% of their team's respective salary cap. Mahomes was 23% when you looked at his APY this year, his average per year, because he was making $45 million a year in 2020. But when you looked at just his cap hit for 2020, in terms of percentage of salary cap, it was only 3%. It was like 2.7%, right? Because he was only had a cap hit of $5.3 million a year. So how do you sort of factor that in into this scenario? Because 
you know, whether a guy is making money at the beginning of a big deal or towards the end of a big deal seemingly makes a difference in that regard, because we know NFL contracts tend to be backloaded. Now, I, I would say I think there is something to, you know, the impact of quarterback salary on team success. Right. I do think the more that you pay your quarterback, the less money you have to put invest in other areas of your roster, which generally speaking, will make it harder to put better talent around him. And we know that team success is about being the best team, not necessarily having the best quarterback. But I do think that tends to get overstated quite a bit, right? As if it's impossible that if you pay a quarterback a certain amount, that it's impossible for you to have team success. You know, I think with a lot of things in the NFL, there are no sort of hard, fast blueprints for success. And, you know, I think a lot of times you kind of have to make adjustments based off of what the pieces you already have, what pieces you're likely to acquire, and just kind of hope all the things come together. And what I mean by that is that variables such as coaching, quarterback play, running game, offensive line, defense, pass rush coverage, how many playmakes you have, injury luck, schedule luck, right, salary cap, drafting, all of these things determine whether a team is successful or not. And I think in general, the better you are in one of those categories, the less you have to be good in another category. So if you have great coaching, then you don't necessarily need as good an offensive line, maybe. Or if you have a great pass rush, then maybe you don't need to have as good a running game or whatever the case may be. So you can adjust accordingly. And again, I, th I think salary cap, I think how well you draft are certainly factors in that equation, but I don't think necessarily one of those factors is the end all be all right. And in this case, we're talking about salary cap when it comes to team success, you know, and what's interesting is when you look back at the last decade that the quarterback actually with the higher cap hit, when it has come to the Super Bowl matchups between the two quarterbacks, the quarterback with the higher cap hit has won the Super Bowl six out of 10 times, but the quarterback with the higher average per year has only won the Super Bowl three out of 10 times. Now, when you look at the AFC championship game, the quarterback with the highest cap hit or average per year is seven and three in the AFC championship game. But in terms of the highest cap hit in the NFC championship game, quarterback is only five and five. And the quarterback with the higher average per year is three and seven in the NFC championship game. And you look at experience, the quarterback with the most, with the more career starts is seven and three in the Super Bowl over the last 10 seasons, eight and two in the AFC championship game, but only four and six in the NFC championship game. So what does that mean? Probably not a whole lot because a lot of the AFC numbers are probably highly inflated due to the presence of Peyton Manning and Tom Brady often being the representatives, whether we're talking about the AFC championship game or the Super Bowl. And so therefore it's going to lead to more success for more experienced quarterbacks in that conference, because those guys have had a lot more success guiding their teams to the Super Bowl. Then they're arguably their equivalents in the NFC, which we would say are probably Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees, who have not been able to advance past the NFC championship game, despite making between them making multiple appearances there over the last decade. Is that because the Broncos and, and Patriots were better teams because they were their quarterbacks were making less money? You know, is Tom breaking Tom Brady making less money make the Patriots a better team than the Saints or Packers? You know, I, I think that's a pretty flimsy argument. I wouldn't necessarily make sweeping conclusions. I certainly think Brady's taking under market deals contribute to the Patriots success, but I don't feel like suddenly that's going to make or break a team or whatever the case would be. Use an example across the past decade. You look at Tom Brady's average per year on average across the last 10 seasons, he has made 11.8% 
of that given season's NFL salary cap. Compare that to Matt Ryan, who's made 14%, right? Now, the difference between 14 and 11.8% in 2011 would have been about $2.6 million. This past year would have been about $4.3 million. Now, that's not a non-issue when it comes to the amount of money, as, you know, in maybe in some cases, it could be the difference between being one team having to settle for re- replacement level players at one or two key positions, while the other team is able to use that those few million dollars to upgrade those spots in free agency. But essentially, to me, if you're making the case that the three million dollars in savings that the Patriots are getting at the quarterback position on average per year leads to them having their level of success, which includes averaging 12 wins per season over the past decade and being the winnest winning its team in the past decade and winning the most Super Bowls in the past decade. And yet that somehow condemns that $3 million condemns the Falcons in that same span of years to have a 500 record and only go on two Super Bowl runs. You know, I'm going to say you're probably exaggerating the impact of that $3 million. So I do think it is advantageous to have a cheap quarterback, but I do think there's a tendency for people to over-exaggerate how advantageous it is, as if it's impossible for a team to win a Super Bowl if they've already paid their quarterback. I certainly think it can get harder, but I think you kind of have to take it by a case-by-case basis and not sort of make this sweeping narratives. I think it's another case of people tendency to sort of cherry pick evidence, cherry pick data in order to fit a certain agenda, a certain narrative. So if you're on the idea of, Hey, if the Falcons go to a rookie quarterback with a rookie contract is going to lead to more success. You know, if you want the team to draft the quarterback, then you're going to use that as a feather in your hat. Even if the evidence supporting that idea is fairly circumstantial, right? If having a quarterback on a rookie contract is so advantageous then why do you find data that says, you know, like you look at the teams, you know, there's been four teams over the last 10 years that have not had a single season in which their leading passer was on a rookie deal. The Patriots, the Packers, the Steelers, and the Saints. Is it a coincidence that those four out of those those four teams are among the top five teams to have the most wins over the past decade? There's a clear correlation, right? That, the less seasons you have a quarterback on a rookie deal, the more likely it is you're going to win games, the more games you're going to win. So what's the big conclusion from that? You know, basically that, Hey, if you have a really good experienced quarterback, that's good enough to get paid a lot of money, it's advantageous for winning. That's not sort of this sort of like groundbreaking statement. It's a pretty obvious statement. So again, I think there's a tendency for people to try to create these easy to follow magical blueprints by simply looking at Super Bowl winners and saying, hey, if you do X and if you don't do Y, then you can repeat the same success that these Super Bowl teams have. And I just think there's a very flawed way of looking at that. I just think the secret to success in the NFL is just be the best team that you can be. And there's many different ways of doing that. Now, to answer your question, Devin, as for Matt Ryan's contract, certainly I would prefer, you know, where the Falcons number four overall pick is going to average about eight million a year in terms of his contract over the life of his rookie contract. And that would be I would certainly prefer if I had that choice to pay eight million dollars a year for my starting quarterback than 30 million dollars a year that I'm going to pay for Matt Ryan. And when we talk about the end of his contract, you know, that number is probably effectively higher than that. But for me personally, the financial benefits or potential financial benefits of moving on from Matt Ryan have never really played a significant factor in my motivations for why I would like to see the Falcons to take a quarterback at number four overall. You know, I I think this stuff tends to get overrated because I think the truth is that really the Falcons are only going to have like a two year window where they're not paying their quarterback a lot of money. 
you know, should they draft a quarterback this year in 2023 and 2024, you know, before you're forced to have to extend that fifth year option for 2025 and or pay that quarterback a second contract, particularly if he's successful early on in his career, uh, you know, starting in 2025, 2026 or whatever the case may be. And you're going to be right back in the same spot that you are now. But I guess, you know, it potentially works out in your favor because he's going to be at the beginning of his contract. So his money is going to be less. So, you know, maybe you have a little bit longer than a two year window or, or whatever the case may be, but it's not going to be much more than three or four years. So for me, one of the reasons why the main reason why I've been pushing for wanting the team to get a quarterback has less to do with the finances, but more on field reasons, because I think the player that Matt Ryan is going to be in three or so years is not going to be a player that you necessarily want to play a lot of money to. Um, because I think the signs of decline are going to be a lot harder to ignore at that point in the future. While I think today most people can sort of miss them because they tend to be very, very subtle. So I think to answer your question, I don't really have a problem with Matt Ryan in his contract right now, but, but in a few years I might. So I hope that answers Devin's question. And we still got more questions to come on today's episode, including a question, how and why the Falcons quote unquote botched the 2017 draft. But before we get there, guys, I have told you about how recently I had to get my brakes fixed and the taillight replaced, and I wound up paying a lot more money than I wanted to for it. When I looked at the receipt, I was kicking myself because I knew I could have saved a lot of money had I just gone to rockauto.com. They have everything from engine parts, motor oil, new carpet, as well as the brake parts and tail lamps that I needed. I could have gotten everything I needed in a few easy clicks delivered directly to my door. And you can too, because rockauto.com catalog is unique. It's easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose by brand specification and the price that you prefer. And those prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. The same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers why spend up to twice as much for the same parts just go to rockauto.com right now see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on into how did you hear about us boxes so that they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com so it's March and you know that means March Madness and it's time to find out which Built Bar flavor is the best all month long Built Bar is unveiling their bracket for the best flavor with daily matchups between the top flavors. And you can pick yours at builtbar.com. If you don't know, built bars are the best tasting protein bar on the market. They taste just like a candy bar and built bars aren't just tasty. They're healthy too. They're low in sugar and calories, high in protein and fiber, build your own bracket or vote for your favorites by heading over to builtbar.com and make sure you use the promo code locked 15. When you get there in order to get 15% off your next flavor. Today's matchup in the built bar bracket features coconut brownie chunk versus lemon almond cheesecake. I'm a big fan of lemon almond cheesecake. To me, it tastes just like a lemon meringue pie covered in chocolate, but the coconut brownie chunk is a game chamber. It might be my favorite flavor. Uh, having experienced it, it is a limited time flavor, but definitely guys, you want to check it out when you get an opportunity to order it the next time you get, because it is a game changer. I've heard even people in the locked on community chat say that I'm not a big fan of coconut, but I do like the coconut brownie chunk flavor. So go pick your favorites at builtbar.com. And when you do make sure you use the promo code locked 15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. So the NFL draft is weeks away and it's time to start checking out the two daily podcasts devoted to the NFL draft on the lockdown podcast network. The draft dudes podcast watches every prospect so that you don't have to. And the locked on NFL draft podcast is your daily draft news and mock draft podcast. Follow locked on NFL draft and draft dudes on the radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. So our first question comes from Stephen Bounds. He asks, how bad was the 2017 draft for the Falcons and why did they botch it? You know, I think you can certainly say, you know, when you look back at that 
the selection of tack, most people point to taking tack over a player like TJ Watt. And I think the argument for and taking tack was that Watt and Vic Beasley's skill sets overlapped a little bit too much. You wanted a little bit more of a contrast for Vic Beasley's skill. You tack was more of that hand in the dirt defensive end. And it made a lot more sense in drafting more of that pass rushing off ball linebacker that TJ Watt was, especially given the success that Beasley was coming off that 15 and a half sack season at that time and was seemingly very successful filling that role uh, in within the defense. I think in round two, the Falcons, after trading up for Tack McKinley and losing their third round pick, they traded back in order to sort of get uh, recoup some value uh, by uh, getting a pick back. And, you know, they were picking 63. They wound up trading back to 75. And I do think, you know, the fact that a couple of interior offensive linemen went off the board between that pick, you know, the Bills took Deion Dawkins at 63. Deion Dawkins went on to be the Bills' left tackle, but certainly was being projected by most people to be a guard in the NFL. And then the Falcons kind of got stuck where some of the guys, whether it's a Deion Dawkins, whether it's a Taylor Moten, whether it's a Dan Feeney or a Pat Elfline, with those guys off the board by the time pick 75 rolled around, they kind of went best player available and took Deke Riley at that point in time and then felt like, okay, well, we can get a good guard in round four. And then by the time they got back on the clock at pick 136, they were kind of forced to have to reach on Sean Harlow out of need. And, you know, Harlow was a guy that very few people I saw, myself included, graded as more than like a fifth or sixth round talent. And the Falcons, I think, kind of reached on him uh, because he was the best of what was left. And that's one of the downsides of drafting for need, which is a tendency where you can often reach And the Falcons have historically done that in the third, fourth round range of multiple drafts over the Thomas Dimitrov era. But, you know, when I look back at the 2017 draft, I look at those fifth round picks, the three that they had in Brian Hill, DeMonte Casey and Eric Saubert. And I don't necessarily look back at those picks as bad picks. I think relatively speaking, the potential was there for the Falcons to get considerably more value out of those picks than where those guys were picked. Typically guys picked at the time. I think most of the issues with those three guys and specifically had more to less to do with the quality of player that they were and more due to decisions and some questionable decisions the Falcons made in terms of managing their roster in subsequent years, whether that was keeping DeMonte Casey at safety in 2020, Brian Hill getting cut during his rookie year, or the team trading away Eric Saubert in 2019. So that's my thoughts on the 2017 draft. Steven's next question is, isn't this a prime example of a year that the Falcons should avoid the temptation of taking running back top 50? Too much risk, not, a, not enough long-term value. Well, I think it depends. I think in a reality where the Falcons take a quarterback at four, I think it does better justify the Falcons taking a running back at 35 because when you have a young quarterback, particularly the ones that the Falcons are likely to target at four, you're far likelier to lean on the running game earlier in that guy's career. And having a workhorse type of running back does make a ton of sense similar and having a similar dynamic of what we had with Michael Turner when Matt Ryan was early on in his career. And it's harder to find that type of player outside the top 50. And I think if you were to make the case that there are two of those guys in this draft class being Najee Harris and Javante Williams, you know, if one of those guys is there at pick 35, I think you can justify making that selection. However, if the Falcons were to pass on a quarterback at four, and Matt Ryan is going to be your quarterback of the foreseeable future, then I think you could quote unquote settle for a third or fourth round running back, given that your passing game is going to remain the foundation of your offense for the next couple of seasons. And you just need a running back that can sort of complement your passing game, not necessarily replace your passing game. So Joe Bayer uh, at Joe Bear 74 asks, 
how the hell did this awful Falcons defense put out three defensive coordinators, Quinn to Dallas, Morris to LA, Ulbrich to the Jets, and do you think all three will succeed? Who is the likeliest of the three to fail? Well, long-time listeners of this podcast know I'm not the world's biggest fan of Jeff Ulbrich, but I do think he's somewhat insulated due to, due to the fact that he's playing under a defensive-minded coach, and Robert Sala is, quote-unquote, the true, you know, uh, the, the the power behind the throne, so to speak, in terms of that defense moving forward. I think the fact that Sala showed a lot more adaptability, adapting that cover three scheme, Seahawks style scheme in San Francisco, um, and not sort of solely relying on the cover three defense, um, does help Ulbrich a bit, even if he's only a DC in kind of name only. And I also think the fact that the expectations in New York are so low right now that, you know, it gives Ulbrich a little bit of a boost that way. And as well as the fact that, you know, the Jets finally investing in a pass edge rusher like Carl Lawson to tag team him with Quinn and Williams, I think will give them a, a solid young foundation for success to continue to build up their pass rush in the years to come, which may or may not include using high picks in this upcoming draft on additional pass rushers. Um, you know, I think Morris, the thing that he has going for him is Aaron Donald. Now the Rams have lost two starters in the secondary and, and history has told us that the success and failure of the Rams defense often is dictated by their secondary, not necessarily their front, but I do think they will be positioned to potentially replenish that talent that they've already lost in the, on the back end. If you're going to bet on who's going to have over the next two to three years, which of these guys are going to have more top 10, top 12 defensive finishes, I would certainly bet on Raheem Morris, just given um, that he has a lower hill mountain to climb, so to speak, I guess. Dan Quinn would probably be the one I'd be most reluctant to bet on. So I guess he would be the likeliest to fail just because I think he has shown he's maybe been a little too reliant on sort of a vanilla cover three defense. Um, and I just don't know if that's going to work as well as effectively today as it has in the past, which has led to some of the issues that I think the Falcons defense has had in particularly over the last two seasons. Um, in terms of how these guys got hired, you know, a lot of it's just typical, we won't call it nepotism, but you know, you know, a guy. Right. You're familiar with the guy. You're like Obrick and Sala go back to their days in Seattle. Morris and McVeigh go back to their days in Washington. You know, Dan Quinn, I think, got hired for the classic reason that pretty much every failed defensive head coach immediately gets hired as a defensive coordinator somewhere. And that's been a trend in the NFL for the last 10 to 20 years. And I also think, you know, maybe another variable in Dan Quinn's favor is the fact that he's so generally beloved by players. And that kind of contrasts with the seeming perception and reputation that, you know, his successor, his predecessor, I'm sorry, Mike Nolan has, as well as, you know, the Cowboys head coach in Mike McCarthy. And maybe there's a little bit of buyer's beware on Jerry Jones's part and wanted to get a coach that is a little bit more friendly towards the players to sort of balance out Mike McCarthy in that regard. So who knows at this point in time, but I hope those answer your questions, Joe. And that is it for today's Twitter Tuesday episode of Lockdown Falcons podcast. And tomorrow we will have our good friend, Tori McElhaney, of the athletic joining us to show, see what additional insights into the recent appearance that Jeff, Ol Jeff Schultz, not Jeff Holbrook, Jeff Schultz had on the podcast and see if Tori has any differing views on the Falcons off season plans uh, than Jeff did and provide some additional insights into what the Falcons are doing. Cause Lord knows I need someone to explain to me what the Falcons are doing this off season. And basically 
seemingly punting on filling holes in their roster, but we'll see what Tori has to say about that. And uh, yeah, that's it guys. If you have additional questions that you want to ask on future episodes of the podcast, of course you can hit me up on Twitter at lockdown Falcons on Facebook at lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to lockdown Falcons at mail.com. Appreciate it guys. Until then.